you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Stars are always an amazing thing to me to look up in the darkness of the night and see all these amazing stars punching holes in the darkness. Some time ago was one of those nights when when it was just a, a an amazing, just dark night and the stars were punching through so beautifully. You begin to reflect on the majesty of creation. As a kid, sometimes I, a teenager, I would, I would be outside and I would just uh, lay on the hood of the car and look up at the sky in the night and take it all in. Stars are amazing. Because of their distinctiveness and their uniqueness. Paul uses this illustration as he talks about the fact that you and I can be as stars. You can be a star. I've talked about that in your notes. I've I've realized that we live in a culture that is starstruck. Millions watch Dancing with the Stars for weeks, anxiously awaiting for who will be crowned the star of the show and carry that trophy home. Millions are preoccupied with American Idol and casting votes every week, hoping to usher in the next music star. We will glue ourselves to our TVs to watch the NBA playoffs. Who will be the star of the game, the MVP? We're a star-struck people. We want our children to be athletic stars and academic stars and artistic and, and stardom. We, we are so preoccupied with stardom. Well, Paul <laughs> tells us how to become a spiritual star. That breaks through the darkness and reflects the glory of our God and Creator. That's a spiritual star. You can be those other things and still be a spiritual star. But the tragedy would be all those various things in the roles of accomplishment and achievement and never be a spiritual star. And the challenge for every one of us in this room today is to be a spiritual star. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 2, and I I want you to look at verse 13 with me. For it is God, it is God who is working in you. Now that's an emphatic statement. He's very emphatic here when he says, I want you to know all that's happening in you, around you, it is God that's working in you. He's working out his life in you. He's working out his power in you. He is working out his purpose. Look, (coughs) excuse me, it is God who is working you, enabling you both to will and to act for his good purpose. You might want to underline that. All that's happening in my life is for his good purpose. Okay? Now, if that's the case, if we really believe that, then we must realize how do we view life every day, the good days, the bad days? How do we Work that into our lives. And how does that work out of our lives and into the lives of others? So 
Paul tells us how to become a spiritual star. Here's what he says in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. There it is. He says, understand that God is working in your life no matter your circumstances or your situation or your condition, that God is bringing about his eternal purpose in your life. So therefore, I need to respond a certain way. If I'm going to shine in the darkness, now if I want to fit into the darkness and not shine, I don't have to do this. But if you really want to be a star, Paul tells us how. There's just some things I want you to see. Number one, you need to conquer the habit of complaining. It is a habit way too familiar with all of us. It comes to us very naturally. It's how we do life. It's how we express ourselves. It's how we communicate. Sometimes we kind of get caught in a conversation and we don't have anything else to say. We start complaining to fill up the space. Because it is always easy to complain. doesn't take anything. There's always something wrong, something we don't like. So he says, you need to conquer the habit of complaining. Why is it? First of all, it is a sin that negatively affects your relationship with God and others. It has negative effects. Nothing positive comes out of complaining. Oh, you may feel better for a moment, but then you'll realize it only made you feel worse on the back end of, of the conversation or, or as you realize, well, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that, but it's too late. You see, it's easy to be negative. Uh, it's so easy. It comes to us as part of our nature, but our nature should be being transformed by the power of God, and we should no longer be living under the domination of complaining. It's negative. Someone has said, I've been around Christians long enough to know that telling us not to complain is like telling us not to breathe. We do it so naturally. And yet, God instructed Paul through the Holy Spirit to say, if you really want to see my purpose work out in your life, if you want all that I have for you, you need to stop complaining. Because it stops the flow. We complain about work. We complain about food. We complain about our employee. We complain about our manager. We complain about the weather. We complain about our hair. We complain about our car, our family, and our church. Our children, our spouse. Our government, our life. And sometimes even God. And Paul says you'll never be a star if you do that. So, well, you know, pastor, surely God understands we're human. Oh, he does. <laughs> That's why he gives us instruction. We don't need to stay in the condition of being. Disconnected from his purpose. His purpose is to transform us in his children. 
and his likeness. And so in doing that, he says, you can't complain and get where I want you to get. You say, well, just how, well, how bad is it? Well, let me illustrate with you. Um, The fact that it just doesn't work. You see, the second thing I want to know, it's a heart attitude. It's not just a sin. It's a heart attitude that sours your disposition and diminishes our light. It, it become complaining out of the heart. You said it's out of the heart things come. We are not defiled by what we eat. What we touch, we're defiled by what comes from the inside that shows who we really are. And we tend to complain and, uh, and, and be negative. And next thing you know, it sours our disposition. And now everything is bad and everything stinks and everything is ugly. Nothing's ever good. And that's where we live. We tend to grumble and complain when things get difficult. That includes people, places, and problems. And then we get sour and negative and unappealing. You see, people don't want to be around you after a while unless they are prone to complain as much as you. And then it's a mutual admiration society that no one wants to be around y'all. This is how it works. This is because people go, you know, I don't feel good. I, I have been around those who do that. I've been around pastors who complain and complain and complain and nothing's ever good and nothing's ever right and nothing ever works guys I, I i just you know can't do it because it sours life it does it sours life so i, I don't want to have that i don't want to be sour and i want to be appealing to people and 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 somehow magnify christ you see When we complain and grumble, we bring reproach to the name of Christ. His name suffers. Because we need to remember that God uses difficulties in life to promote our maturity. That's what James says. The trials of life, we're to count it joy because it's changing us. It's making us more like Christ. So I I understand that. Complaining hinders our spiritual progress, and the truth is, when you whine, you can't shine. Let me give an illustration. God, in His grace and mercy and sovereignty, led a group of slaves out of a place called Egypt. They saw the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. They saw God withstand the armies of Pharaoh. They saw a, a fire by night and a cloud by day. They, they experienced amazing, miraculous provision at the hand of God, deliverance at the hand of God. And yet, here's what he says in Numbers 11, verse 1. Now, the people began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. Well, that just goes to show people never change, do we? Because they did this thousands of years ago, and we're still doing it today. They openly complained about hardship. And when the Lord heard, his anger burned with fire. You think 
he doesn't like complaining. I, I think so. I don't think he really likes complaining because here's what happens when we complain. Do you know in Exodus, if you look at the book of Exodus, they're complaining. In Exodus 4:11, they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away here to die in the wilderness. We're going to die. Look what you've done to us. They had been set free. But no, they were complaining because things were hard. Exodus 15, 24, and the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? We have nothing to drink. There's no water. Exodus 16, 2, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Exodus 17, 3, and the people complained. Complaining gets you nowhere in the purpose of God. Done. Can I tell you why it's a problem? In 1 Corinthians 10, 10, it says that because of complaining, God sent a destroyer. He got tired of hearing the complaining. The problem with complaining is when we complain, the blessings stop. I think this is why we, while we're complaining about life's hardships and unkindness and unfairness and all this stuff, we're now blocking the good that God's trying to bring to our life. And we become the victim of our own complaining must conquer the habit of complaining that needs to be dealt with that's so important you say why does God have a problem with I mean it's just what we do it's how we cope with life no that's not how believers are to cope with life that's how unbelievers cope with life they're in the darkness we're supposed to be the light we're supposed to do it differently so we have to cope with hardships differently because we've been given a power and a purpose to reflect the, creative, the creation and power of God. And so in doing that, we shine like stars in the darkness because there should be an obvious difference between the believer and the unbeliever. And the truth is today, I'm not sure you can tell the difference. Because we all deal with hardship the same way. We complain. And so we don't shine. We don't shine. Say, well, what's the real, why is that a problem? Well, I think, uh, according to the scripture, that complaining demonstrates both a lack of gratitude for past blessings and a lack of confidence in God's wisdom, will, and ways. You see, when I complain, I'm already being ungrateful for what I've already enjoyed and what I've always enjoyed, which is far better than I have ever deserved. I understand that. God's blessed me, and I, have, I don't deserve any of the blessings I've ever received in my life, but I sure have enjoyed having them. And if things should change, I need to realize, God, I had a great back there, but here's where I am today. Now, what are you trying to do with me today? What is your will for me today? I have confidence that you have a plan for my life, and it's going to be brought to fulfillment. I have confidence that you're not going to leave me, forsake me, so I know that you're going to be with me all the way. And so I understand your will, and I understand uh, that your wisdom is for me to be changed and transformed to the image of your son. So as long as I complain, that will not happen. And then we complain because God's not doing anything. You understand, if I'm going to be a shining star, got to conquer this habit. It just doesn't work. It's not compatible with shining. The husband, it was a husband, every morning his, 
his wonderful wife would get up and cook breakfast. But he, he complained every morning. She cooked his eggs scrambled. He said, I can't believe you cooked them scrambled. I wanted them poached. And she cooked some poached. I can't believe you cooked them poached. I, I want them scrambled. So one morning after, after weeks and weeks, she said, here's what I'm going to do. She says, so she scrambled one egg and poached the other. And he looked at the plate and looked at the plate and looked at the plate and said, I can't believe it. You scrambled the wrong egg. That's how prone we are to complain. God says, man, I, I can't shine through you when you complain. It just will not happen. Ah, oh, but there's something else. Not only we conquer the habit of complaining, we must avoid the instinct to argue. Do everything. Verse 14, do everything. He didn't say do some things, do a few things. Do the important things. He said do everything without grumbling. That's complaining. And arguing. So that you can be blameless and harmless. Which means if you're, if you're arguing, you're harmful. You're no longer harmless, you're harmful. Arguing reflects an arrogant attitude that is disruptive and destructive in our church, at our work, in our home, and in our relationships. You say, but pastor, it's just kind of, we. You know, everybody argues. It is our instinct to argue. But if we're going to shine, we must somehow let the transformation that comes from the Holy Spirit work in our lives in such a way that we realize it's not about who's right. It's about God's kingdom. What he says here very clearly is that arguing discredits, number two, discredits our witness. Man, that's, uh, all of a sudden, I, when I should be shining as such a contrast to the darkness, okay? He says that in a crooked and perverted generation, a generation that walks around in the darkness, you should be that shining star that penetrates their darkness and they see the distinctiveness in you and the uniqueness in you and the contrast in how you deal with life and they should be drawn to the kingdom of God. But if we are doing what unbelievers do all the time, there is no contrast and there is no drawing people to the kingdom. And may I say to you, probably the greatest crisis we face today in our churches across America is we've spent years and years and years arguing with one another, arguing and arguing and arguing, and the world don't want to give us the time of day. We argue about stuff that doesn't matter. We argue with one another. I put a quote there, to dwell above with saints we love, that will be grace and glory. But to live below with saints we know, now that's a different story. Oh, we argue with God. We argue with one another. We argue with people we don't know. Paul gave Timothy some good advice. He said, avoid stupid questions, foolish stuff, talk that would lead to arguing. I refereed basketball one year. You say, Pastor, why? and I loved it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the refereeing and calling games and, and doing that. And you say, Pastor, why did you only do it one year? Because I refereed in church league ball. I, a friend of mine, we, we called a ball game. 
we tried not to call the ball game because he was a member of that church and I was a member of the other church and, and it was a championship game and no other referee would call it because how these teams pl- behaved. And so finally they said, and, and we, I was a good referee and so was my buddy, and, and, he's, and they said, look, you got to call the game. Nobody, nobody else will come and take the game. Well, isn't that a great commentary for church basketball? Nobody else brave enough to get on the court with you guys. And so I said, all right. So I got my buddy, and I said, okay, we're going to call this game. So we showed up. I went to my church and said, before the game starts, here's the deal. I don't want to hear out of you. I don't want to hear a word from you. You don't talk to me. You don't call me by name. You don't do anything. And play ball we're supposed to and live with the cause. And like all, all church athletes, they lied and said they weren't going to do that. It's fine. <laughs> and then, and then the, my buddy goes to his church. Okay, now here's the deal. And we're going to call it, we're going to call a tight game. We're not going to mess around. Be quiet. Well, we, we called the game and it was a, unfortunately it was a close game. So everything mattered. Every call mattered. And, and, uh, and, uh, we had warned them and, uh, and so sure enough, it came the moment when his church <laughs> said something and called him by name. And I said, technical. Of course, they got mad. And then these guys over here did something. And I called technical on them. And they argued and they argued and they argued. You know what I learned when I played basketball in high school? You never, ever win an argument with a referee. Ever. Ever. You say, how do you know that? Because I've lost a few. I, uh, I remember uh, going, uh, playing ball, and, and uh, uh, a friend of our family was refereeing, and, and uh, he made a bad call. You know, they all do. We all make bad calls. But, but uh, I said something to him quietly about it. You know, I said, you know, I said, I'm not to kind of miss that call. I didn't say it. I wouldn't embarrass him. I thought you missed that call. He said, look, don't say anything else. I said, you're kind of thin-skinned, aren't you? He said, yep, thin-skinned, technical foul. Well, okay. I'm telling you. And then... I've said I didn't foul, I didn't do that, and I found it didn't matter. Arguing always generates more heat than light. Oh, I've watched the arguing take place. I've watched it destroy families and friends and churches. You say, Pastor, you've told us we can't complain and we can't argue. What are we supposed to do to cope with life? How do we deal with life when it's unkind and unfair and isn't good? Well, here's what he says in verse 16. Hold firm of the message of life. That's the word. He said, now you live by this book. You do what this book says. And to to know what the book says, you pretty much need to read it. Need to be in a, a, a small group where you can discuss it. Need to be in a corporate setting where you can hear it collectively. And then you'll begin to let it work in your life. 
Say, Lord, I, I, want, I want to do it your way, not my way. And, and boy, that sure gets tough sometimes. It's a challenge for all of us. Make no mistake about it. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor for nothing. For even if I am poured out as a drink offering, that's on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. In the same way, you should also rejoice and share your joy with me. The third thing I want you to know is respond to the challenges, the circumstances, and the conflicts of life with rejoicing. You say, Pastor, why would I want to rejoice in the midst of uh, bad stuff? Because you go back to verse 13 from the Word of God where it says, For it is God who is working in you. Nothing touches my life without His permission. I may not like it, I may not enjoy it, but that's because it probably needs to change me, and therefore I need to respond to it. So, again, that last thing in your notes I want you to get. Respond to the challenges, circumstances, and conflicts of life with rejoicing. You see, I am intrigued by the book of Philippians. It is always just <clears throat> grab my heart because... Basically, it's been labeled as the book of joy. And I've got this guy who is in jail that's telling people to rejoice as he is rejoicing. And, and he, is, he is talking about joy in every chapter. He's talking about how we can experience joy and the fulfillment of joy and he's talking about the power of coming from basically rejoicing in the Lord from a jail cell. Here's what he says. Finally, and go to 4.8, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, a 4.8 principle. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is any praise, dwell on these things. You see, I make choices every day of what I want to dwell on. If I want to dwell on the negative, it's gonna, I'm going to come out negative. I'm going to be a complainer. I'm going to argue and I'm going to be discouraged and depressed. I'm going to do that because that's where I am. It's the cause and effect. But if I choose to dwell on what God's doing in my life, and God, I know you're trying to change something in my life, and you're trying to... Build in me more illumination for your kingdom. Then how, God, I need to dwell on what you want to change in my life now and how you want me to conform to your will and how you want me to submit to your will. And as Paul said, I'm willing to be a sacrifice. I'm willing to be poured on the altar of God if it brings people to Christ. Wow. Now we're talking about shining stars. Not easy, is it? In a negative culture, Anyone who is positive shines like the North Star in the darkest of nights. He says the contrast, the culture is so dark. If you'll just let me live my purpose out through you, you'll be a shining star. You'll point people to me. He said, Pastor, you've just told us that we live in this horrible culture and this horrible generation and 
things are bad and things are getting worse, and yes. Well, how can we rejoice? Our life is rapidly changing. It doesn't seem to be changing for the better. Things are harder. Yes, they are. Oh, they really are. Well, how do we rejoice? I'm going to tell you, because God has given us such a time as this to live. He has called us to be the ones to shine when it seems to be so dark. What an opportunity. What an amazing responsibility. Say, God, you've picked this time for me to shine. To have impact and make a difference for your kingdom. But for us to be blameless and harmless, 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 not harmful, harmless, we've got to be punching holes in the darkness so people can see the light of Jesus. I see a guy and his sidekick, Silas. They're in jail. They've been beaten. They've been sent to the cell hungry. And now there they are, punished for doing nothing wrong. Paul looks at Silas and says, you know any good songs? And maybe they said, how about he will make a way where there seems to be no way? And they begin to sing. And God did something supernatural. He opened the doors, broke off the shackles. And because these men shined in the darkness, a Philippian jailer was saved and the whole household was saved. May I tell you, that's the kind of church the world needs to see. A complaining Christian is a poor witness. A disputing church is a poor witness, but a joyful Christian and a rejoicing church is a powerful witness. And the truth is, a choice is yours.